We're very excited about that. But we have, as a church, we are going through a series on the family of God. I think this is our eighth week in this series, and we've reached a point in this series where we are talking about our responsibility within the church for mutual care. It is not just the role of shepherds or pastors, ministers to care for the church, but the church should care for one another. That's the picture. And all of this is based on this concept that's that's called fellowship. The Greek is koinonia. It's what we studied the very first week in this series. And as I have probably told you every week, but I want us to get it. Fellowship is not a human construct. We don't create it. We don't create unity in the church. Fellowship has existed before any of us did. Eternal fellowship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in in this amazing, beautiful picture of salvation, when we believe in our hearts upon Jesus Christ and we confess Him with our mouths that He is Lord, we are grafted into this eternal fellowship with all of its riches belonging to us. That's the picture. We all have one Father, one Savior, one Spirit. And so it is the Father and the Son and the Spirit that in effect say to us that we, one God in three persons, are united. We are in fellowship together with a shared love, shared righteousness, shared honor, shared glory. And so now all of you who have been called into the church, who have been called to Jesus, you have the divine privilege of living with the Father, Son, and the Spirit together, all of you together. You are united in this fellowship. And I stress that to you because the we're not creating fellowship in the church. We're not creating unity. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that we probably mess it up when we try to create it. When we try to figure out how to bind everybody in the church together with different programs or different, you know, breaking people into different seasons and groups of people, seasons of life so that they feel like they belong. But We belong in this one fellowship, in this one unity in the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What we're called to in the Bible is to maintain the character of that fellowship that we have already been joined into. And so Paul expressed this to the Ephesians in chapter 4 of his letter to them, what Kevin preached for us a couple of weeks ago. Bear with one another in love. That means endure with one another in love. Be patient with one another in love. That means, yes, we're going to try each other's patience. That's why we're told to endure and bear with one another. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. To maintain it. Not create it. Maintain it. Paul said something similar to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, chapter 12. He said, may there be no divisions in the body. Again, maintain your unity. Maintain the fellowship that comes from the Spirit. Let the members have the same care for one another. Mutual care. So what I present to you today, the case that I make to you, is that we in the church maintain the fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We maintain the unity of the Spirit. Not by our programs, not by our man-made ideas and initiatives, but by bearing with one another in love, in mutual care. How do we protect the church from being divided? How do we maintain fellowship? Love one another. Endure with one another. Be patient with one another. Care for one another. 
Just like you care for all the parts of your body, care for all of the church. That's the picture. And so, one way that we express that mutual care is what we talked about last week. Shared partnership. We call out and we recognize that every person who belongs to Christ has a unique calling and unique gifts. And God has given them that calling and their gifts to advance the gospel in their particular sphere of life, their circumstances. And so what we're supposed to do as a church is come alongside of each other. We constantly gather. Hebrews chapter 10, we exhort one another every day. Hebrews 3. And we look for ways to help one another advance the gospel. And we are ready and willing to give ourselves to one another to help one another accomplish the mission that God has given us. So we should have conversations like this. Come alongside of each other and ask, what's God calling you to do right now? Like what, what is God calling you to do right now in this season of your life to advance the gospel? And how can I help? How can I partner with you in that? Those are the kinds of conversations we need to have. Not just, hey, how was your week? How's work going? Are you excited about you know, that hobby or football season or whatever? We need to have conversations. Those things are fine, but we need to have conversations where we are, are asking each other, what's Christ saying to you right now? Where are you at in the Word? How's prayer? What's God calling you to do right now? How can I help you? That's mutual care. That's shared partnership. And so today, we're going to take that idea and build on it. We're going to take that same idea of bearing with one another in love and expressing mutual care. But our focus today is on generous giving. How we are called to give together generously. So if you have the worship guide for today, if you're a note taker, if you want to pull that out, if it helps you to do the fill in the blanks to follow along, please grab that. And also... Grab your copy of God's Word because we're going to look at some passages that are not on your worship guide. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, we would love to gift you one. They are on the back table. You can get up anytime and grab one. That is our gift to you as a church. We're going to start with this instruction to the church. So we're doing one of these every week. What is the instruction to the church each week as we're looking at different passages regarding the family of God? So here's our instruction for this week. Show the life of Christ in you by a willingness to become weak so that others can grow strong. I'm going to pause there for a moment. We're going to finish the rest of it in a moment. But this is an instruction, my summary of an instruction from Paul to the Corinthians and other places in the New Testament where we should show that Christ is in us in part by willingness to become weak so that others can grow strong. So look at verse 9. I highlighted it in your worship guide. And I did that on purpose. But look at verse 9 and let's read this together. Because this is not only the thesis of the message today, but I will tell you this is the very foundation of giving in the New Testament. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Church, when we talk about giving in the New Testament, 
This is the foundational principle. It's not a formula. It's not a figure. It's a person. We get in all these debates on, well, do I, do I, am I still supposed to give this particular percentage? Am I supposed to do this? The New Testament says, be like Jesus. Have this attitude. Jesus was willing to give up all His riches so that you who were poor could have His riches. Now, if Christ is in you, live that way. That's the attitude to have as a Christ follower. Not just in finances, but in all of your life. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord. Do you? That's the question. Are we in Christ? Do we know the grace of Jesus? He gave up everything. Every good gift you have is because Jesus gave up everything for you. It doesn't matter if you're in this room and you acknowledge that or not. There are millions of people who every day breathe the air that God is giving them and never acknowledge His name. But we live in His grace. Everything we have is because Jesus gave it up for us. He gave up heaven. He gave up. He set aside His glory. He came to be poor, to enter into the kingdom of the earth to experience grief and suffering and temptation for sin. He went to the cross and He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. I, this is a whole sermon. This is a whole series of sermons. But I'll just say it this way to us today. If you can get that picture that you have been invited into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit, you only have that ability. You only have that place in the fellowship because Jesus gave it up. He had experienced the riches of the fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Spirit for all of eternity. And He stepped out of that fellowship. On the cross, when He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, the Father turned His back on His Son. And He no longer experienced the fellowship He had always known. None of us in this room knows what it's like to live in a world apart from the presence of God. Even if the presence of God is not in you, you experience His presence, His grace by His Spirit that is in this world. Jesus in that moment stepped outside of all of it so that you might have a chance to be in that fellowship for all of eternity. This is the basis of giving in the New Testament. Why give? Why are we called to give? Because if we don't, if we don't live that kind of life, the life we're living is incongruent. It doesn't fit with Jesus. If His life is still in us, then we look and say, how can I weaken myself at times? Yes, some days it's giving up your time. When you give up your time for someone, you're making yourself weaker. Some days it's serving. It's giving up your energy and your strength. You're making yourself weaker. You do those things so others can be strengthened. But yes, it is also material giving. And the reason I separated it is because some of us, we would read this and say, well, this, is, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. And I want to remind us, this is all of our lives. No matter what you have materially. But some of us would also say, well, I, I will give of my time and I will give of my energy. Not necessarily of my money. God calls us 
to all of that. So let's finish this instruction. Show the life of Christ in you by a willingness to become weak so others can grow strong. This includes financial generosity to those in need, especially in the church. Included in all of this is the fact that God grants us resources. And we are called to be generous people and share those resources with others who are in need. Especially the church. Especially the church. Because the Bible says, do good to all people as you have opportunity, especially those in the household of God. So with that instruction as our backdrop, I want us to go through 2 Corinthians 8 and I want to see how Paul lays this out to the church in Corinth. And if you will, grab your Bibles or, or your copy of the Scriptures if you use a, an app. Because I want us to look at the first six verses that we didn't read of how Paul opens this letter. Or this portion of his letter. This is how he starts. And remember, he's writing to Corinth. Okay, So he's writing to the church in Corinth. And the reason that he's writing this part of the letter is because the church in Jerusalem, a different city, is suffering. And we don't know at all why they are suffering, but we believe there was a famine there. There are poor Christians in Jerusalem. They don't have enough to eat. They are suffering. And so part of what Paul is doing as he travels around to these different cities, the Gentile cities, to start churches and encourage churches, and teach them the gospel, he is collecting or he is exhorting for a collection of money that those churches will then send to the church in Jerusalem to help them in their suffering and their famine. And so he is writing this part of the letter to Corinth to do just that, to encourage them to give to the church in Jerusalem. And so this is how he starts it off. Verse 1 in chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So what Paul does as this church in Jerusalem is suffering and as he is going around to preach the gospel, start churches, encourage them, but also collect money, from these Gentile churches for the Christians in Jerusalem. He had traveled into the region of Macedonia. If you were here last week, Macedonia includes the church of Philippi. Macedonia includes the church of the Thessalonians and Thessalonica. And that's a poor region in Paul's day. They didn't have a lot. But those churches had given generous. And so now Paul is writing to Corinth. Corinth was a wealthier church. And he starts off his plea to them for mutual care in the church by being generous, 
by giving them an example of what has happened in the churches of Macedonia. Remember that picture from last week? Paul's in prison. Philippi sends Epaphroditus, a member of the church, to love on Paul, to give him gifts. And we talked about they probably didn't have a lot, but they went to Paul to to be generous to him. That church had a generous heart. They were poor, but they were generous. And Paul is holding them up as an example to Corinth. And so he gives them an example of the churches in Macedonia. In your notes, let's look at a, a couple of things that Paul says about this example of these churches and what we can learn in our own lives about an example of very generous people who didn't have a lot of money. Number one, Paul tells them, generosity is a manifestation of your understanding of grace. Generosity is a manifestation of your understanding of grace. So look at how Paul puts it in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He doesn't say, we want you to know about the gift that has been given. He doesn't say, we want you to know about the offering that was collected. He refers to the gift and the offering by calling it the grace of God. And it's not the only place he does it. Later on, he will say that in verse 6. We want you, Corinth, to complete this act of grace. He says it in verse 7. We want you to excel in everything, including this act of grace. Paul considers giving among Christians to be an act of grace. What does that mean? It means that you are best ready to give when you understand how kind God has been to you. When you understand the riches that He has given to you, you are ready to show that same grace to others by giving to them. Are there generous people in the world who are not in the church? Absolutely. But I would make the case to you that even though they don't know it, what they are doing is merely reflecting the grace of God that they're living in. Every good and perfect gift is from above, James chapter 1. And they are showing the general grace of God in the world by being generous people. But those who are in the church, who know the grace of Christ and have meditated on it, who think about the riches of what Jesus has done for them and given to them, their response is they want to share that grace. They want to be like Jesus. This is what keeps us from being proud even when we do give. Rather than think, oh, look at me. Look at how much I gave to that person that was in need. Look at how much I give to the church. Look at what I do. Now this protects us from that because we are able to look at it all and say, I can do nothing except that God has been gracious. I can do nothing except He has been kind. I can do nothing except He's given me the talents to make money, to have a career. He's been kind to me to help my needs through other people. He has been kind to me by helping me to have resources, placing them in my hands. This isn't mine. This is what God has given me. And I will gladly share that with others because of His grace. Giving is about the grace of God. Generosity is a manifestation of your understanding of grace. 
if we're not ready to be generous people, if we are not tempted or not inclined to be generous people, it may be because we don't meditate enough on the kindness of God. Secondly, secondly, Paul says, talking about this example of the church in Macedonia, in your notes, joy and contentment in God are keys to sacrificial giving. Joy and contentment in God are keys to sacrificial giving. So let's read verses 2 through 4 again. And I want you to really pay attention to verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Agape, if there was ever a group of people who had a reason or an excuse to not give, it was the Macedonians. They are suffering under severe affliction. They are poor. They had every reason to say, I can't give. But not only did they not say, I can't give, they begged Paul, let us give. Which may mean Paul said to them, no, 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 you don't even have the means to do this. And they were like, no, you are collecting for the saints. They are suffering. We want to give. Let us give. What a picture. Earnestly desiring to help other believers. Now let me tell you what I want to read verse 2 as saying. In my mind, what I want to read verse 2, the way that I want to read it is, in spite of their severe affliction and their poverty, their joy in the Lord led them to give. But that's not what it says. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in their generosity. What Paul says is it's the combination of their joy in God and their poverty that has led them to be generous. Why? How is it that their being poor led them to be generous? And here is what I submit to you. They loved God and they had no love of money. They were ready to be generous because they had never fallen into the trap of loving the goods of this world. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. What we are told is loving money is the root of all kinds of evil. This church was ready to give because they had never learned how to hold on to the things of this life. Their joy was in God. Their contentment was within Him. Their whole life they had seen God provide for them. One of the reasons Philippi may have been so poor is because there may not have been a lot of men there. Remember, Paul usually went to the synagogue. He didn't go to the synagogue in, in Philippi because there wasn't one, which tells us there was probably less than ten Jewish men in the city. He started asking, like, where's, where are the godly people meeting? And they said, well, there's a group of women that meet outside the city and they pray. And Paul said, okay, I'll go to them. There may not have been a lot of breadwinners in Philippi. 
It may have been a lot of poor families, a lot of widowed families. They didn't have a lot. They had learned to trust in God. And because of that, they were ready to give. And this is what Paul told Timothy later in 1 Timothy 6. He doesn't say, Timothy, go find all the rich people in the church and tell them to get rid of everything so they'll be more God. This is what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but rather on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly ours. It's real easy for us to look and say, well, I'm not rich. And probably most of us in this room or nobody in this room is rich by a certain standard, but we live in the most affluent or one of the most affluent countries in the world. We are some of the most affluent people in the world. We throw all kinds of leftovers away out of our refrigerator that we never got to. And there are people in the world who haven't eaten in days and weeks. And the word to people that are well off in this present age is not sell all you have so you can be godly. It is be ready to share. Don't love your money. Don't put your hope in your money. Put your hope in God. And show that your hope is in God by being willing to give generously from what you have. That was the example of the Macedonians. And then the third example in verse 5. Paul says, and this, not as we expected. In other words, Paul says, we were really surprised by this. We were really surprised that these poor Macedonians begged us to let them take part in this offering. By the way, the word take part in your note in your Bible there is the word koinonia. Participate in the fellowship of the saints. This is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So the third example from the Macedonians is this. Abiding with Christ precedes sincerity of giving. Abiding in Christ precedes sincerity of giving. Paul's already told the Corinth, they did this of their own accord. We didn't twist their arm. We didn't make them feel guilty. Their giving was of their own accord. But where did that come from? Where did these Macedonians get this idea to be this generous? And Paul says it's because they first gave themselves to God. Abiding with Christ, that whole picture we've looked at, the branch in the vine, we receive the life of Jesus. Jesus lives His life through us. The more we're devoted to God, the more that we're spending time with God, His will impacts our will and we want to give. I'm not saying that you should wait to give and care for one another. That you should wait for it to be sincere. But I am saying that God wants a lot more than just mindless giving. He wants a lot more than people that just write giving checks out of a formula. He wants sincerity of your heart to desire to care for the church in giving. And where that comes from is the Spirit of God. 
I've said this to you many times. I, I don't particularly like talking about giving. The reason I don't like about it is because so many people outside the church say all the church does is talk about giving. Some of you are here for the first time, you're like, see? Jesus talked about giving a lot. He talked about money a lot because He knew it would be one of our idols. But I will also say this to you. Many error, many errors have happened in the church because leaders in the church did not trust the Spirit of God in His people. They thought they had to manipulate people into giving. Twist their arms into giving. Rather than just rely on the Spirit of God telling their people, abide with Jesus, be devoted to God, knowing that God will make us generous givers. Verse 6 is our transition. So Paul turns now from the Macedonian example and he turns to Corinth. And he says, okay, so now I have urged Titus, who's one of Paul's fellow workers among the Corinthians. And Paul says, I have urged Titus to help you finish, complete this act of grace, this offering. And so now we're going to move to some practical lessons because Paul, as we heard Eric read earlier, gives some very practical advice about giving to the church in Corinth. He takes this example of the Macedonians and now he says, now, based on that, here's what I want you to know about giving. As we talk about these practical aspects of giving, Keep this example in mind of the Macedonians, which we can apply to our own lives, but also we're going to take these practical ideas on giving and apply them to our lives as well. And when we talk about giving, I will say, yes, we're talking about corporate giving to your local church, wherever you are a member of, but we're also talking about individual giving to one another and helping each other in our needs. So Paul says first in verse 7, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So in your notes, the first practical lesson from Corinth is this. Increasing in generous giving is a commendable and expected part of your sanctification. Increasing in generous giving is a commendable and expected part of your sanctification. Paul tells Corinth, look, you have a lot of strengths in your church. You excel in faith, in your trust of God, in your faith that you have of Him. You excel in your speech. Corinth really desired gifts among them of speech. They wanted the gift of knowledge. They wanted the gift of prophecy. They wanted the gift of tongues. Paul says that's good. They got out of hand with that sometimes and he corrects them in this letter, but he says, good, you excel in wanting these gifts of speech. And in knowledge, you have the grace of knowledge among you that you're growing in the knowledge of God. And in earnestness, eagerness for Christ, that is a strength of yours, Corinthians. Now, make it your strength to be generous givers. He puts generous giving in the same category of faith and utterance of speech and in knowledge and in earnestness. God expects us to grow in giving as we are sanctified. It's one of the reasons that I think it's dangerous to get fixated on a percentage when it comes to giving. 
Do I believe that it is right and good for the church to tithe, for, for people in the church to aim to give corporately a tenth of what God has given them? Yes, I think it's a foundational principle from the early days of very beginning of creation that the people of God would return a portion of what God had given them back to Him. And I think a tenth, 10% of that is a great starting place. But if we focus on that, we are missing all of the New Testament's call to generous giving. And you can get so fixated on a percentage that you can say, I give. I give my part. And it not even be from your heart. Or you reach a place in life where God has given you increase and 10% doesn't represent any kind of sacrifice. It doesn't look like Jesus. You're just kind of in that routine. This is what I do. God wants us to increase in the sincerity of our heart and increase in generosity as we increase in sanctification. That is a lesson He's given Corinth. Excel in this the way you excel in all of these other things. Let's keep going. Verse 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Here's the second practical lesson in your notes. Giving should be voluntary, yet motivated by the example of others. Giving should be voluntary, yet motivated by the example of others. Paul is really clear. I'm not commanding you to give. We go on to chapter 9. He says, you should not give under compulsion. You should not give out of guilt. God wants a cheerful giver. If I, as your pastor, stand up here and I guilt you into an offering, if I guilt you into giving, if I try to motivate you to give by telling you all these bad things that are going to happen if you don't give. I might get you to give, but you're not actually worshiping and I'm in sin. Because giving is to be voluntary. But it is good and right for us to uphold or hold up examples of generous giving before the church and say, look at the earnest love they had for God and people and strive to that same example. Because that's what Paul just did of the Macedonians. The ultimate example is Jesus, who became poor that we might be rich. But there are others probably that you know in your life. You probably know people who are amazingly generous. And every time you think about them, hopefully, in your heart, you worship God for the generosity that they have shown you and others. And Paul says, it is good. I want you, I'm not commanding you to give, but I want you to prove that your love for God is as earnest as the Macedonians. I want you to be able to test that and show you love Christ the way they do. I'm not commanding you to give, but I am telling you, look at their example and think about it. You should be motivated by the example of others. Verse 10 and 11. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. 
so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So here's this other practical lesson. Our third one. Sincere generosity requires both heart and discipline. Sincere generosity requires both heart and discipline. Paul actually started writing to Corinth about this offering, this collection, in his first letter. 1 Corinthians. And he had told them to get ready. And at least a year had passed and that offering had still not been taken up. It had still not been sent to Jerusalem. Paul said, you were ready, you had a desire, now you need to follow through and complete it. Sometimes we have really good intentions on giving. Sometimes we have really good intentions on caring for the church, inviting someone over, getting to know them, meeting their needs but we don't follow through. It's not just desire that we need. It's actually the discipline to do it. That is why when Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 16 on giving, he told Corinth, you should do the same thing I told the churches in Galatia to do. On the first day of the week, set something aside. Save in keeping with however God is prospering you. So that no collection will have to be made when I come, it'll be ready. Paul pointed them to say, systematically prepare to give. Otherwise, you you won't actually give. Be disciplined in setting aside something on a routine basis to give to the church and to the people of God. I think we should have budgets where God allows to where, yes, we give corporately to the church. I also think we should have room in our budgets to be generous to each other. We should have money that is just there that we can give to someone if we come across someone who is in need. I don't say that as a command. I say it as simply an idea to set before you. But be ready to give by systematically preparing. Because if you just say in your mind, I want to do that. I'd like to do that someday. And you don't actually plan for it, it will probably never happen. The fourth lesson, verses 12 through 14. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So here's the fourth practical lesson. Christians are not called to poverty, but to a reasonable and fair partnership. Christians are not called to poverty, but to a reasonable and fair partnership. What I mean by Christians are not called to to poverty is Corinth was pretty wealthy. Macedonia, the churches there were not. Paul didn't say, you need to send everything you have to Macedonia. If God calls you to give everything away, you should do that. But that's not the general command of the Bible. But this is what the general command is. You should be fair. There should be reasonableness in the church. It doesn't make sense to let others in your church suffer while you have an abundance. The fair thing, what should be reasonable in the church is those who have an abundance will give 
So those who don't have enough will have enough. That's pretty anti-economic America, by the way. But it is the picture of Christianity. Be fair. And then Paul says one day, it may be their abundance that's supplying your need. You may not always have an abundance. There may be a day where you're in need. And God will ensure that the abundance of others in the church will be ready to meet what you need. Don't let other people in your church, wherever you belong, carry the burden of corporate giving while you just enjoy the benefits. All of us, in fairness, give out of what we have. Notice, Paul says there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. If you come across one of those people in a church, on TV, whatever, that says, hey, don't worry about what you have in the bank, just give, and you sow your seed and God will provide, it's pretty anti what Paul's saying here. You're not called to give what you don't have. But you should give out of everything you do have. That's the And if we're honest, sometimes our mentality is, I've earned this. I've worked for this. I've slaved over this career or this idea for this. And God says, yeah, remember my grace. You didn't do any of that. So the abundance I've given you, share. And it takes us to this life truth. which is based on verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let me explain that before I give you the life truth. Paul is quoting Exodus 16. In Exodus, the people of God were being provided for in the wilderness by manna from heaven. God said, I want all of you to go out, collect the manna, bring it in. When you bring it in, I want you to measure out everything to the community by an omer or a quart. One quart of this manna per person in your tent. So when the community went out to gather, some of them gathered a whole lot. Their age allowed them to gather more, perhaps their energy level. They gathered a bunch. Other people went out And they didn't gather as much. But when they all brought it back in and they used the measure that God had given them, Exodus says, the people who had gathered a lot, they didn't have anything left over. They had exactly what they needed for their family and the community had enough. And those people who had only gathered a little, they didn't lack anything. They had just what they needed. God made sure everyone had enough. Even though some had gathered more than others. So what is Paul saying? Here's this life truth. When God's measure is used, the church will be well supplied to grow in godliness and good works. When God's measure is used, the church will be well supplied to grow in godliness and good works. Do you remember what happened in Exodus when some of the families said, I'm going to keep a little bit of this in my tent just in case um, there's not enough tomorrow. They woke up the next day and it stunk 
and there was worms in it, and it was a big mess. Because God had said, I will provide for you every day what you need. Here's what I think Paul is saying, first of all, individually. Some of you are going to gather a lot in this life. Some of you are going to gather a lot in certain seasons of your life. If you try to hoard it all, you're going to ruin it. Some of what you're gathering, that lot, a lot that you're gathering, is so that you can help supply the needs of others who aren't able to gather as much. Some of you, you're going to gather just a little because that's all you can do. God will provide for your needs through His people. That's the picture. We don't have time to do it, but I'd like to give you a little homework if you'll take it from me. Sometime today or tonight, read 2 Corinthians 9, the next chapter. Because Paul finishes his instructions to Corinth. But I want to read you this one section of it, and I'd ask for you to read all of it. The point is this, Corinth. The point is this, Agape. Verse 6 in chapter 9. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's God's promise to the church. Agape, if you will live by God's measure, if you will give by God's measure what He has given to you, this church will be well supplied for good works. The promise isn't if we all give according to God's measure, we'll be a rich church and we can finally change our carpet and we can finally do some of those things we've been wanting to do for a while. That's not the promise. I might still have this carpet ten years from now. The promise is we will be well supplied in good works, which is far better. Far better. But that happens when the church gives according to God's measure. Love each other. Care for each other. According to what you have, give to the church. Pray for your leaders to know what to do with what you give. Look around to each other. Know each other in your lives and what God is calling you to do right now. Know your needs. See the people in your church and look for how God may have given you something that fits the exact need they have. With your time, with your talents, with your treasure. Everything God has given you is not for you. Some of what God has given you is to meet the needs of the people in the church. That's the